Hello, and welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Nights. Uh, today, hosted by the guy who doesn't do the bits. With me, I have... I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. Hi, I'm the most expensive Italian film ever produced. I'm a model Italian citizen. I'm German. And I'm the one who doesn't do a bit. And today, <laughs> we're discussing 2022's Pinocchio. Bam! No, not that one. <laughs> not that one either. That one didn't even end up coming out. No, today we'll be discussing Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson's Oscar-nominated stop-motion animation adaptation of Pinocchio. Amazing. Carlo, again? Out of this accursed time! Before we dive right in, this will actually be our very first time talking about a stop-motion animated feature on Movie Nights, or the podcast period, and I figured we could inaugurate this occasion by discussing some of our very favorite stop-motion animated films. So starting us off, Tim, what is your favorite stop-motion animated film? My favorite stop-motion animated film is the ending of the 1981 Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Man, fuck you! <laughs> No, so so my real answer, and this is sort of a cliche, uh, easy answer, but I'm just going to go with it, and that is uh, Henry Selleck's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, Disney capitalized the hell out of it. Yeah, it became synonymous with mall goth emo culture. Whatever, the movie slaps. I have a special present for you anyway. There you go, Sonny. And what did Santa bring you, honey? It's very deeply informed my aesthetic tastes at an early age. It's got lots of great musical numbers, uh, some very interestingly drawn characters. There's a reason why it's become such like a big pop culture hit. It's just really well made. We really do need to recognize Henry Selleck more for his uh, creation on that. Like they plastered Tim Burton's name all over that to the point that people think Coraline was directed by Tim Burton. But it's a really good movie. Uh, If you haven't seen it, go watch it probably on Disney Plus. If not, it's on Blu-ray. Whatever. Do what you want. Back to you, Ethan. I love Blink-182. Nightmare Before Christmas is a good pick. It's one I've needed to re- revisit for the longest time, but it's such a really stylish film. I think I think it has been somewhat denigrated, perhaps, by its its reputation with the Hot Topic crowd. Yeah. But, uh, like, I have, a, I have a lot of appreciation for it, just aesthetically. And also, I just love um, Danny Elfman, who provides uh, Jack Skellington's singing voice as well, because I'm a big Boingo mm-hmm. Boingo fan uh, as well. So it's nice to hear him singing again. There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys and absolutely no one's dead. Uh, Tanner, what's your favorite stop motion animated film? When you sent that questions of this, I actually kind of had to stop and think about it for a moment because it's I, I usually break things down into just animation period and I usually don't think about the different types of animation when I think about stuff like this. So I thought about it and then I went to the list I recently made last weekend where I put all in a list my 100 favorite movies of all time and only one stop motion animated film was on there. My favorite stop motion animation film of all time is Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Aw, hell um, yeah. Understandable. It's a movie I've loved since a very young age. I think it's had a big influence on uh, why I kind of enjoy the the drier British style of humor. Aardman in general are just very excellent at this thing. Their feature film work is all great, and if you go back into their further catalog, they made some really interesting, very dark stuff in like the 80s and 90s. But Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, I need to rewatch it. It's been a while since I've watched 
watched it, but I really love that one. I know it's not even a lot of people's favorite Artemans, but it's my favorite. And fun fact, it is also, last I checked, the only stop motion film to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars until probably this year. Let's be honest, Pinocchio's probably taking it. That's my answer. Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. I adore it to bits. And slow down for pity's sake, you of course, the Were Rabbit is really an excellent feature from them, um, leading on to a string of really excellent features from Ardman. It's it's deeply funny um, and just a really great transitional step into the wider world of wide distribution stop motion animated films. It didn't get the love it quite deserved. It got the Oscar. It got the Oscar. I, I mean, yeah. It still doesn't get the credit it deserves, though. Everyone talks about Chicken Run or like Ardman's other things. I hear them talk about the Wallace and Gromit shorts more than the feature. <laughs> but Austin. What is your favorite stop-motion animated film? I think that film historians and critics are all kind of in agreement of what the stop-motion equivalent of Citizen Kane is, and that's a little film from the year 2000 called Chicken Run. Chicken Run is the best goddamn fucking movie in the entire world. But that's a little too obvious. This fucking guy. Because everyone knows how good Chicken Run is. My favorite stop motion <laughs> film to go back and rewatch at any given point is Wes Anderson's 2009 adaptation of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Hell yeah. But yes, I love that one. We took everything. But to give this answer a little more color, I'm going to bring up a different World Doll stop-motion movie because it was the first stop-motion film that I ever saw. It's a Henry Selleck picture that's not Nightmare Before Christmas, so you could say it's sort of underrated. That movie being James and the Giant Peach. I started watching the VHS tape of that movie around two or three, so it imprinted various things on my weak childhood mind that still exists there to this day. The fear that I used to feel when the cloud rhino would appear has only been repeated since in my life by stuff like being in car accidents. That scene with the glowing green crocodile tongues and James crawling through the giant peach into the claymation section of the film, that was some Matilda-level, like, magic is real, I saw it in the movie shit when I was a child. Mabel, we got us a huge unidentified object here. What's it look like? Uh, Round, fuzzy, uh, looks like a giant fruit or something. Someday I hope Disney would consider doing a 4K remaster or any kind of remaster of this film because the 2010 Blu-ray leaves a whole lot to be desired. If you're part of the new generation of Hot Topic kids Tim was talking about, who recently discovered Nightmare Before Christmas, consider checking out James and the Giant Peach, because Henry Selleck does deserve our collective respect, but I can't in good conscience recommend Monkey Bone. Bright lights, big city, back to you, Ethan. Uh, I just want to say that movie freaked me the fuck out as a kid. Hell yeah! It's a sufficiently freaky movie. Uh, Sorry, I kind of lost it at Monkey Bone, though. God, Uh, Monkey Bone is is one of those ones that I think of and I'm just like, wow, that movie sure did exist. Why did they make that? What a terrible idea. (laughs) A cool world stop motion movie, basically. Uh, But Joe, your favorite stop motion animated film. So this was a very difficult topic for me because stop motion animation is one of my favorite genres of animation. I I love stop motion the most, but you know what? I'm going to go with a recent pick. Phil Tippett's Mad 
God. Uh, (laughs) The movie that took him so many goddamn years to get made. Very light on story, but it is very heavy on visuals. And man, oh man, that's some of the most fucked up shit I've ever seen in a movie. I wonder what Phil Tippett's therapist has to say about it, (laughs) because Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, if you want the perfect representation of a descent into hell put onto film, Mad God is probably the best place to go and find that. Mad God is one where I was really glad I got to see it on the big screen at the Webster University Film Series. Thanks, Pete. That's one where there's just so much detail uh, in every frame and a lot to soak in. Uh, Shout outs to the uh, cameo by the Machine and Krieger space type SAFS model kit uh, that shows up part of the way through the movie and is summarily blown up. But no, it's a really strong one and I'm glad that we have it, especially from Tippett, whose only other opportunity to direct a movie was Starship Troopers 2. Ultimate, he did someone a favor and like no one ever repaid him that favor. It's fucked. Yeah. Speaking for myself, this was really hard, especially because like I was kind of thinking, what does, what counts as stop motion animated? Um, and I kind of had to preclude myself from cutout animation, despite like cutout animation would have been like very obvious what my favorites are there. But shout outs to The Wolf House, which is absolutely my second favorite, just from sheer force of like multimedia art. Just every single scene employs completely different art styles. It's just wonderfully visually inventive and dripping in atmosphere. Mm. There's a Super Saiyan 4 Vegeta sticker in it. It's really just a magnificent film from top to bottom and just a wonderful commentary on the long-term effects of colonialism and a beautiful piece of art. Uh, but my number one has to be um, A Midsummer Night's Dream by Jerry Tanka, which is really the, the Czech stop-motion legends like masterpiece. It's just so beautiful and otherworldly and ethereal in a way that stop-motion only can be. The Wolf House is like incredibly admirable and like enchanting from a technical craft, but A Midsummer Night's Dream is something I could put on at any time and it wouldn't, I don't feel like it could have any chance at like possibly harming my mental health like the Wolf House might do potentially uh, just because it's a bit of a spookier time. A Midsummer Night's Dream is just top to bottom. A magnificent love letter to the medium and eminently beautiful and I admire its craft so so much. Uh, it's, it's one of those ones I try to recommend to people as much as I can. Beyond that, I think it's time to move on to the subject of today's podcast which is Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson's Pinocchio. These are puppets I do not like. Shoot him! It's me! I cannot die! We know! I can't die! Another major sort of passion project in the same way Midsummer Night's Dream was more than 14 years in the making. So let's just get right into it. Our overall thoughts on the film. Tanner. Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson's Pinocchio. I'm so used to just calling it Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is a shame. That's literally what the movie's called. Wow. Uh, It's my favorite animated movie of the last year. It ranked number 10 in my top 10, mostly because at one point it was number 11. And then Ethan bullied me for not having an animated movie in my top 10. And then eventually I was convinced. I really, really, really uh, love Del Toro's Pinocchio. I think the decision to sort of reset it in fascist Italy 
is a very interesting decision that I think adds a lot to the story. I think there were a lot of interesting changes made in general, like how Pinocchio never actually turns into a real human person. As Del Toro explains it, to try and show how he didn't need to be a real boy to be deserving of his father's love, which I find to be a very powerful motion. And speaking of fathers, uh, uh, Geppetto in this movie, who fucking uh, sinks in a whale to try and find his son, I think has earned this. Um, <clears throat> Dad's rock, baby! Um, David Bradley as Geppetto in this movie is like my favorite performance in the movie. He is so incredible, especially the scenes where he's basically a drunken, sad idiot, or he's just like wandering around town square. He's able to convey a lot of emotion in his voice and the animation really helps convey this. But I mean, it's Pinocchio. You know the story. It's a classic. Uh, I was happy I got to see it with Ethan in a theater, which was fun because usually when uh, I ask Ethan the day of, do you want to watch a movie? He's like, actually, I'm, I'm too busy cleaning like the church for the White House or something. Del Toro has been wanting to make this film for 14 years. He wouldn't accept anything less than a stop motion film. At one point, he was made an offer to make the film for cheaper if he did a more traditional animation style, but he refused. He thought this movie needs to be stop motion and there's Great reasons why. It might be my favorite Pinocchio adaptation. There's another uh, great one called Disney's Pinocchio from 1940. You might have heard of it. It's also a really good Pinocchio adaptation. I love Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's a great movie. Back to you, Ethan. I heartily agree. It was a really fun experience getting to see this in the theater with you uh, in particular. Um, It's been mentioned before, but Tanner is someone who it's very fun to watch movies with because he loves movies so much. So that that enthusiasm definitely rubs off. Tim, what are your thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? So I'll start by saying that me and Cody actually got to go see it when they were doing the uh, theatrical run back in December. And uh, it was really cool to see it on the big screen. But like as soon as the Netflix logo came up, I overheard someone like two seats away from me go, this movie's on Netflix. What a waste. And I was, <laughs> I, was, I was seething. I was seething when he said that. People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good movie. It was just a very interesting artistic take on all of it. It just really takes a lot of interesting routes, like the whole Mussolini fascist Italy thing and like the biblically accurate angels as opposed to like, you know, the traditional fairies and like you got the Sphinx. Uh, like last week I was talking about how Jaws is like one of the most, how the fuck was this ever PG movies? Uh, this isn't quite on that level, but it goes about as hard as a PG can go these days. Like I was not expecting to see Geppetto in a drunken rage chopping down a tree and making Pinocchio. Like that was horrifying. <laughs> Take your glory, son. Shoot the puppet! This is a real gun. I told you to shoot the puppet! Yes, sir. Oh, hi, it's me. Ah, And then the movie ends with just like, what happens happens and then you die. Just the heaviest message you can end a children's movie on. But yeah, in all seriousness, it's, a, it's just a really well-made movie. It's very stuffed. There's a lot of movie, but I don't think any of it is like meaningless. It all flows really well, I think. I think I appreciate it more on second viewing as far as like pacing goes. The first time it felt a little long, but the second time I think it felt not quite as long. Shout out to Kate uh, Blanchett and possibly her second best role of 2022. Goddamn. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just a lot of good stuff. Back to you, Ethan. Uh, they should do Tar, but with her monkey. <laughs> Joe, what are your overall thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? I, I had a Robert Zemeckis joke that I wanted to make, but I can't. because no. <laughs> Leave that Alzheimer's ridden man alone. I'll leave him alone. That man made Back to the Future. I'm sad. Anyway. A wooden boy. Look at that, Gideon. It's amazing. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, though. This has been something I have been anticipating for the longest goddamn time, because I remember being in high school hearing about this and just thinking that this thing was never going to get made, because I was a big del Toro fan back in high school, and I was just like, man, if only they would let him make these projects, they'd be so fucking cool. So <clears throat> it's very gratifying to actually like see this like come to fruition. I really like it. I have some issues with it. Notably, I think that the music in this is very unremarkable and it should not be a musical. My gum, my gum, I pull my bubble gum. <laughs> Upon second watch, you can kind of feel the runtime a little bit. There's points where it does drag just a little bit. But other than that, man, oh fucking man, Mark Gustafson, uh, Guillermo del Toro, they absolutely knock it out of the park in the animation department, the directing, overall writing. The one thing that I note as a del Toro fan is del Toro really likes the shot of just bombs dropping out of the cargo bay in planes because there's that little uh, devil's backbone homage towards the beginning of the movie. It was later said that Geppetto's little town was not even a target, that these planes were heading back to base. They simply let go of their bombs to make their ballast lighter. He dies, <laughs> and you ain't got nothing. Overall, good movie. Did not expect to hear the voice of SpongeBob coming out of a real world dictator, though. Back to you, Ethan. <laughs> SpongeBob Mussolini. I can see what you mean. Um, I think it is very jam packed, and like if if some stuff doesn't quite agree with you, it can definitely drag things down. Some of the songs are a little ho hum, but I think there's certainly justification for them. Uh, particularly like the, the first song, "My Son," being very kind of on the nose as like a children's lullaby kind of thing. Something easy to remember. Out of all the songs, that's the one I'm a little bit more accepting of because it plays as like a lullaby he's singing in the scene. Yeah, and I think the way it's used as late motif throughout the film uh, is strong. But I, I feel like it's, its music isn't its strongest uh, element uh, as opposed to something like Disney's Pinocchio, which of course has iconic songs that are all really good. It's barely a musical. There's like only three real numbers in the movie. It feels more like a movie that happens to have musical sequences than a musical proper, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I don't know. In that, in that way that kind of mirrors maybe the original Pinocchio, but uh, Austin, what are your overall thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Bear with me for a second. I promise I'm on the hype train along with everybody else, but I wasn't excited to revisit this for movie night because the first time I saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, it felt like a very long movie. Uh, upon rewatching it yesterday, I was surprised that wasn't the case at all. My rewatch was delightful and it flew by like a good dream. It occurred to me revisiting the film that the first time I saw the movie, I was scared shitless of what was about to happen. It turns out with movies like The Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, and most of all Nightmare Alley, I have been conditioned to expect that like the fascists were gonna murder Geppetto or that Pinocchio would die at the end and then live in limbo forever. Uh, on my rewatch, it felt so silly because it's so obvious that the film wasn't doing anything that dark by stuff like the way that uh, Sebastian Cricket gets 
has cartoonishly destroyed so many times, which is a huge just departure from Del Toro's usual depiction of violence, where there's like an emphasis on realism and unexpected ways that mundane things can mutilate people. That old, that old fence in the armpit story he always tells. Pinocchio is a different kind of Del Toro picture, like how Hugo is a different kind of Scorsese picture. And thank God, I desperately needed to wash the taste of Nightmare Alley's ending out of my mouth. They really knew what they were doing here. There was a conscious move from Del Toro for the animators to animate unnecessary gestures. There's this really spectacular line in the making of Doc where he says, when you animate the ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. The teams who worked on this intelligently played to the strengths of stop motion animation, which is kind of essential in a world where computers can imitate stop motion so well. Off of Del Toro for a second, the influence of Patrick McHale is pretty evident after Pinocchio was killed by the car. I finally saw all 10 episodes of Over the Garden Wall, and that sort of vintage aesthetic fused with Grimm's fairy tale horror seems to be a thing McHale loves to bring to the table. This is such a miraculous departure from like the 80s and 90s cartoons where people couldn't say the word kill and had to sub it in with words like destroy. This movie's all about death, and it's got Italian fascists in it who Pinocchio tells to eat shit. A movie about a kind puppet boy who can't die navigating a fascist country is so much cooler than the old Pinocchio movies about how, like, kids should stop being assholes or else they'll turn into donkeys. I, I feel like the lessons of this film will be more helpful to modern children, and the overall intent here seems more good-natured. So, in closing, it it's a pretty spectacular journey that kids and adults can both enjoy. It tackles heavy subjects like war and the corruption of fascism and death, but it doesn't make you feel like total shit when all is said and done. The ending is sad and heavy, but it has an important message that's been echoed through other parts of the film about how our time here is limited, including with the people we love the most, and we should appreciate it before it's gone. Really solid movie. I feel terrible Henry Selleck had to release Wendell and Wilde the year that something like this dropped, because boy, what a fucking picture this is. Yeah, that is sort of unfortunate timing when Academy Award darling Guillermo del Toro finally drops his decade plus uh, in the oven uh, adaptation of one of the most beloved fairy stories of all time. No, I, I completely agree with your larger points. On the first viewing, it can kind of drag. Like, I, I think I was kind of in the same boat where I'm like, oh, will this take a while? But it's not so much that it drags. It's just so dense that when you reflect upon it, it's like, wow, that's a long movie. But it's just so much happens in it that it can be difficult to decompress. I came to church! It's a demon! <gasps> Witchcraft! Malachio! Pinocchio! I guess I'll just transition sort of immediately into my own thoughts. I think it's a very strong, again, like Joe said, I think the musical numbers are, if, if there is a weak point, um, it's the numbers, not the score. The score is good overall, but I don't dislike the music, and I think it's peppy, um, and it kind of sticks in the brain as it needs. It's just, you know, not as iconic as, like, that 1940 film in particular. Yeah, as Austin said as well, uh, Patrick McHale was involved uh, in this, the uh, writer and creator of Over the Garden Wall, uh, who, uh, cool guy, good stuff, you can tell, because uh, he's good at writing and handling sort of ethereal uh, journeys. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that Del Toro got to sit on it for a while because I feel like, especially looking at early concept art where it more closely reflects the um, Grimley illustrations for his, uh, for Grizz Grimley was sort of the concept artist. Uh, his illustrations for a release of Pinocchio were sort of the basis for uh, Del Toro's take on it. And circa 2008, Del Toro, who was more interested in horror stuff in his comic book origins with Hellboy and that sort of thing. I wonder what kind of 
version he would have made if he could have just immediately dove into it, especially looking at those concept illustrations, which are very kind of like American McGee's Alice uh, in their way. <laughs> I think it would be an interesting version, but I think it's one that would have basically been instantly dated as soon as it was, as it was released in its way. But I'm glad we got this version we did, which is really thoughtful. I love the character of Pinocchio, who really embodies how annoying children can be um, when they're curious, <laughs> asking questions about things all the time. If he's a puppet, where are his strings? That's true. Who controls you, wooden boy? Who controls you? Shoot the puppet! But how they don't really intend to be bad people. In an interview, Del Toro actually explicitly stated that he wanted to kind of flip things so that it was about how disobedience is good, actually, particularly when it's resisting like a fascist state and instead make it more about Geppetto becoming a father than about Pinocchio becoming a boy, a real boy, recasting all the villains that Pinocchio encounters as different father figures ostensibly in his life. That works as sort of a sort of a thesis and holds true throughout the film. Um, I think the fascist elements, when they're sort of distanced, are at their strongest. When Mussolini actually appears, it's a bit on the nose in the sense of it's it feels like a Looney Tunes bit more than it feels like it fits with the larger fairy story that we've created here. I think the rejiggering of the Island of Pleasures works overall. I wasn't super hot on it my first time. My one quibble is sort of Volpe's reappearance after the camp is blown up. Uh, just It comes a little bit out of nowhere. That's the one thing where, like, my suspension of disbelief. But then they crucify Pinocchio, and it's all better. He died for our sins. I think it's just a really strong retelling that um, pulls upon Del Toro's horror roots um, while not being as horrific as like the worst moments of the Disney version. Like I feel like Lampwick turning into a donkey is going to maybe sit a bit more poorly with children than other stuff here, which is more intense, like in like an ambient sense, but not so just like viscerally terrifying, if that makes sense. But I, I love it's it, that it's able to really manage an air of general creepiness without necessarily doing the thing where it feels quite so explicitly horror tinged. It's just such a really wonderful fusion of elements uh, that all comes together really wonderfully. And I'm so happy that Del Toro was able to make it because uh, it was a co-directed production, but like he's one of the listed screenwriters and story writers. Like he was, he was very involved. So it, it is fair to say that this is his baby primarily rather than something like Nightmare Before Christmas where it just has somebody's name tacked on. And that's it for overall thoughts. Going to transition to an ad break and then we're going to move on to our thoughts on the animation in the film. See you then. Hey, and thank you for sitting through that advertisement. Uh, here's another one. Do you like <laughs> movies? Do you like colors? Do you like slivers of color representing the primary color in each frame of a film? Boy, do we have a website for you. MoviePalette.com offers high-quality canvas prints featuring a number of your favorite films, I'm sure, with each color arranged in that particularly artful fashion. And if you go to MoviePalette.com and enter Squad 15 at checkout, you'll actually get 15% off. So get yourself a nice piece of art at a little bit of discount and uh, toss us a little bit of change our way. We're not desperate. We don't need the money. Please give us the money. We need it. We're desperate. I'm so fucking hungry, man. Uh, but back to the next question. Thoughts on the animation in the film? 
Joe, would you like to start us off here? Animation good. There we go. Uh, cue the Zelda music. <laughs> Something about stop motion animation, though. Um, there's always going to be like that herky jerkiness to like the animation to it. it it's like dubbing with Italian films. You kind of just have to get used to it. But for this movie specifically, I will say the herky jerkiness when it's done on Pinocchio really adds something to like his character specifically because he's like this piece of wood just become animate all of a sudden. So, of course, that's going to move a little bit more unnaturally than a human would. So I'd say that that adds at least something to it. But I really don't have the big boy smart words for animation. So I will just pass it off to the rest of you guys. Absolutely. It's a very, very pretty movie. And the movements of Pinocchio especially, I think, are going to be a point of highlight for many of us. There's a moment where it feels like a fucking horror movie with him at one point, even. It's more like a fucking spider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reveal of him, he's built up like a monster in a very Del Toro way, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Hell yeah. yeah. Tim, thoughts on the animation in the film? Animation looks really good, like really just solidly crafted. I do think it's kind of an interesting examination of the uncanny valley effect where like all of the humans look a little fucking creepy, but then Pinocchio is just this cute wooden boy and uh, Sebastian J. Cricket is a cute little animated cricket guy. What's funny is like we've been doing this whole bit about how there's all the Pinocchio movies from 2022 and like this one got all of the critical acclaim the fucking Polly Shore one got memed to hell uh, I didn't even realize the Disney one came out last year until like two hours ago I saw the poster for it and I had no idea it actually came out it's um dog shit mm -hmm. I imagine I have mm -hmm. never watched any of the like recent run of live action Disney movies they just look it's, bad it's yeah. easily the worst of all of them by far that's impressive, but this is a good Pinocchio movie, and that's all I got to say on that. Back to you, Ethan. No, absolutely. This is, in fact, a good Pinocchio movie. Uh, there are a lot of them, and uh, the, the quality is mixed. Even with Roberto Benigni, the quality's mixed. He has a good one and a bad one. <laughs> no, this is definitely one of the better Pinocchio adaptations. Uh, Tanner, thoughts on the animation in the film? I'm going to take this uh, chance to uh, uh, really take what you mean by animation broadly. Uh, I really agree with what Joe was tapping into there about how the, the, the way Pinocchio himself is animated to be very satisfying. Everything about the um, way these characters move and the way they interact in the world themselves is very impressive. What I think is really impressive here is the sense of scale. I think a lot of stop motion movies can struggle with a sense of scale because they are quite literally working with small figures and puppets and stuff like that, which a lot of that can actually come down more to the cinematography, which, by the way, the cinematography of this film is oh, incredible. Yeah. And the lenses they use. Uh, I also want to shout out the production design, the way these sets are designed, which is only tangentially related to the animation, but they are a world the character interacts in. The art direction in general is very cool. I like the... Um, very realistic design of everything while still having this sort of cartoony angle to it. I specifically want to shout out Pinocchio's design. It is like one of the more unique designs for Pinocchio I've seen. He's all sort of just this one flat sort of look. He looks the most literally cut out of wood. He wasn't painted. He's just like this little fucked up thing. And he has like, even has a leaf on him somewhere. He doesn't look prettied up which makes mm -hmm. the um, response of the townsfolks of like, what the fuck is that? 
more believable. And the character design in general is all incredible. I really like it. I think it's incredibly well animated. And I understand why Del Toro demanded this be a stop motion film and how he wouldn't settle for anything less because I think that's what the stop motion helps uh, accentuate the themes and the narrative intent here in a, in a really satisfying way. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, the stop motion gives us a real distinct sort of flavor to separate it from, you know, other adaptations, of course. Austin, thoughts on this film's uh, animation? He needed it to be stop motion because it's a film about a living puppet. So it's a living puppet film all, you know, made with living puppets. There's a meta Hell element yeah. to it. Uh, yeah, really spectacular animation. If you've got a 4K TV, I really recommend watching this episode of Movie Night in 4K. Shadow Machine, El Toller, the Center for International Animation, and the people over at McKinnon and Saunders all collaborated to do a really fucking solid job on this. The use of 3D printing was probably 100% the only way to make Pinocchio. What? Yeah, the only way to make a Pinocchio that looks like the Grizz Grimly design, considering they had to keep his wood grain consistent across all 870 of the faces that they used for the uh, replacement animation. What a high-tech-ass main character if you really think about it. This is me, but I'm going to juke the question in the silliest way. One thing that intrigued me, as somebody who wanted to be a generalist for a long time, is the parts of this movie they couldn't do with conventional photography and had to do digitally. Unlike a lot of instances of VFX work in modern film, these are actually kind of easy to explain. For fire, they didn't use a traditional pyro simulation that creates, like, photorealistic fire, like you see, like, in the cave scene in Half-Blood Prince, that stuff. Animator Brian Hansen did a test in pre-production where he tried to do fire using cheesecloth and motion-controlled gobos, right? So Moving Picture Company decided for the fire in this movie, they'd use cloth simulations instead of pyro simulations. Because stop-motion movies have, like, a long history of using shit like big balls of cotton for fire and explosions. Mm-hmm. And the water was unique. The look of it was modeled after a solution used in the uh, 2017 Mark C. Smith short, Two Balloons. They did a normal, like, fluid implicit particle sim in Houdini. Then they took the lateral flow out of the geometry afterwards, so it looked like a big-ass sheet. And then they added a bunch of bump and displacement maps to it, so it looked like a big, funky sheet of rubber being pushed up and down from below by, like, plungers or something. Really unique way to tackle the issue. For the rain, the animators on set used glycerin, so the VFX guys changed the viscosity and the properties of the water in the rain simulation to match that of glycerin and shape the drops a certain funny way as if they've been made in real life out of glycerin. And the last thing, the limbo scene is mostly CGI except for like the character models and the little patches of ground they're standing on. Those funny bookcases in the back were originally going to be made out of laser cut acrylic but then COVID happened and there was a tremendous run on acrylic all of a sudden. Suddenly it was all getting used up being made into sneeze guards at banks. So then the bookshelves had to be digital for that reason. Uh, Those were some of the highlights of my research into the movie's overall animation. I think the VFX guys did a tremendous job blending their work with the painstakingly crafted photography made in the four studios who worked on this. It's just an enormous labor of love and I hope some company like Criterion gives this a physical release someday. Netflix and Criterion have a good relationship so fingers crossed. Cheers! 
I think I, I was hoping, frankly, that you would emphasize your background in like VFX work and that sort of thing uh, in particular, because I think that's an interesting subject um, in the realm of stop motion animated stuff, because I feel like Pinocchio hits such a perfect balance with it. Um, a lot of Leica stuff has been shifting really since Coraline, but I'd, I'd argue that it made the real dramatic shift in Paranorman from Paranorman onwards, basically, where there's like a few characters that are stop motion figures and some light detailing on the sets, but so much of it is just compositing after the fact. It's very impressive in the sense of like, it's wonderful to see what they're doing with their pure emphasis on character animation, ostensibly. It's very lifelike. But I think what Pinocchio does is it sacrifices some of that fluidity in the name of uh, the texture that makes stop motion animation so appealing as a whole. Like when when physical plates break and that sort of thing, the awkward jerkiness. Uh, As Austin mentioned, 3D printing has become essential for uh, facial animation. All of Leica's puppets basically use um, that sort of replacement animation for the faces. And it used to be that you'd have to just have a bunch of custom made faces that you would uh, have to hand paint. That was a big hassle on Coraline. Um, But moving into Paranorman, they could suddenly start 3D printing these. St. Louis and Brad Schiff himself told me this in a room when he came to visit here. Uh, And by me, I mean a room of other people who were there to see him because he's Brad Schiff, animation director at Leica. But uh, I really like the sort of poseable faces that they use here for every character but Pinocchio, where you can see little seams on their eye where they had to, you know, take the tweezers and the jaw movement. I I love the movement of uh, particularly Geppetto's mustache when he gets very expressive. That method is called mechanical animation. Yes, mechanical animation as opposed to replacement. Just very incredibly expressive. Uh, In terms of its influence, I know uh, Del Toro, we'd be remiss to mention this, but Frankenstein was a heavy influence on the film, and I think that really shows in sort of the creation of Pinocchio, you know, a stormy night as he carves his creation and then awakens to find him sort of jerkily rising to greet him, this this man-made thing. Maybe that's why Del Toro's next movie is Frankenstein. Truly Geppetto is the modern Prometheus. I really love the animation on Pinocchio, especially the jerky movements and everything are very satisfying and unique in a film full of unique character animation and background stuff. And I think it really toes that line so successfully in terms of expressive and stylistic animation and uh, its use of digital effects in a way that makes me very happy to see and I hope to see more. Uh, Also, I know Austin mentioned it, but this is uh, one of several films which have involved the CIA, but the cool (laughs) one and not the stupid narc one. Animal Farm's still good, despite the involvement of the CIA, but... uh, What? Otherwise... It's a studio in Guadalajara that does the animation. Yeah, I was very confused when I initially read the CIA was involved in this film, and I was like, oh, wait, it's just different one. Acronyms can be for different things. Fucking CIA trying to remind everyone, hey, guys, Italy used to be fascist to try and prep, like, America for a U.S. invasion of Italy. There we go. Guillermo del Toro's Red Dawn. Fuck, del Toro is going to be, like, the Secretary of Defense. But no, uh, no, I think it's just a gorgeous, wonderful film. And I've had a blast talking with, about it with you guys. But I think at this point, we're going to transition to our closing thoughts on the film. Tanner, if you'd like to lead us in here. Absolutely. Um, I lied before. This movie sucks. <laughs> I, I, I am lying now. Austin, overall thoughts on the film? We have seen a whole lot of remakes and reimaginings since tentpole blockbusters kind of became the norm. Sometimes it's great, like West Side Story. Sometimes it's awful, like Psycho. Uh, but Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio stands proudly in that shining hall of remakes that surpassed the original. He took a swing at Disney and won the fight. What a legend. Joe, final thoughts on the film? 
Del Toro 100% made up for Nightmare Alley being kind of meh. It's really nice to see a passion project of his actually come to fruition. Now, studios, please, for the love of God, let him turn Silent Hills into a movie. Just let it happen in some capacity, please, for the love of God. I feel like it's going to be Konami preventing that at this point. If they were smart, they'd let him do it. <laughs> well, it's Konami we're talking about. They'll make another pachinko machine, though. Silence, gamers. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> final thoughts on the film. Yeah, this is just a really great film. So much heart went into it. I distinctly remember like when we were getting out at the end of the movie, Cody overheard some kid telling his mom, I think this is my new favorite movie ever. Or something like that. Uh, so, like, it's a great movie if you're an adult, but, like, it's not going to scare the kids away. It's just a really solid... It, what, what a picture. Yeah, I think what we have here is one of those genuinely excellent family films. Because I feel like, yeah, it's approachable from all angles. The art house crowd, the family crowd, the horror crowd, the animation enthusiast crowd. Goodness. It's got such universal appeal, and I'm so happy that it's uh, getting at least some of that recognition that it deserves. Hopefully it'll win that Academy Award. If it doesn't, we riot. Actually, it's got pretty stiff competition this year. Turning red, put some boots. But the Academy loves GDT, so we'll see. Uh, But no, I'm really glad I was able to see it, in the theater especially, and uh, get to talk about it with you guys as always uh, it's always such a joy but you know who else is a little wooden boy whose uh, nose grows when they tell lies you so that's why you should uh not lie and instead like our video subscribe <laughs> hit the bell for those there notifications uh if you like it go down to the down there bit uh, and again we you can get the the movie palette at the discount rate uh also patreon we'll, we'll make content for it eventually uh give us money um we'll go on a world spanning quest to find our son and get eaten by a whale be sure to check us out on spotify video if you want to hear us uncensored uh all the all the f-bombs uh tune in next week for uh our first episode on a 2023 movie where we discuss the new Sony thriller blockbuster Missing with a very, very special guest. So you don't want to miss that. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.